Welcome in, welcome in, welcome in, everybody here in Los Angeles, wherever you are listening at. So, so great to be with you on this Saturday, LA Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN, Saturday, July 17th. Oh man, this month of July. I felt like it wasn't 4th of July yesterday, <laughs> like two days ago, and we we're already halfway through the month of July. And all that tells me is this that the uh, NFL season, college football season is approaching and it's going to be here as soon uh sooner than you know so a lot to get to here on la gridiron weekly we got a packed show a packed show when i say packed oh man we got a lot to get to Uh, obviously we're going to talk about the news of the week in the national football league but then also too, Jalen Ramsey. He's had some comments this week. Just talking about not only his the best secondary or secondary players that you know he's watched throughout his career, but just talking about his path to the Rams and kind of his outlook on the Rams this season. So a lot to get to when it comes to Jalen Ramsey. Uh, also too, uh, Keaton Slovis. We'll talk a little little Cleeton Slovis. That'll be in the second hour. We want to get some USC football talk as we get ready for fall camp coming up for the USC Trojans, also the UCLA Bruins. But a couple great interviews today we got lined up. 10 a.m., Jonathan Abram, Las Vegas Raiders safety, man. I can't wait to talk to Jonathan, one of the hardest-hitting guys in the National Football League. So we'll get some Raider talk in there today here on LA Gridiron Weekly. And Adam Grossbart, he's the USC beat writer for the OC Register. We're going to get into a little bit of USC talk today. I just want to get a little bit of the temperature right now as we get so much closer to the start of fall camp. So an action-packed show here on LA Gridiron Weekly. Let me give you the phone number. 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. Now that we have set the table, it's time for the opening kickoff. This is LA Gridiron Weekly with Kirk Morrison. And with the flash of the cameras going on. It's time for the opening kickoff. Uh, opening kickoff brought to you by my Twitter handle, as always, at Kirk Morrison, K-I-R-K-M-O-R-R-I-S-O-N. Also on Instagram, you can find me at Kirk Morrison. Also on Facebook, um, wherever, your, your social media platforms. Uh, I haven't reached TikTok yet. Uh, I do have a TikTok account, but uh, I'm, I'm slowly easing to uh, the TikTok, Snapchat account, all that stuff. Because wherever you need to find me at, if you want to have a question about football, trust me, this is our safe space. I've said it so many times. Our safe space is here every Saturday following Dr. Clapper uh, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. where you can ask me any football question you want. I will give you an answer. That way you can walk around and feel say, you know what? I, I got smarter today. I learned a little something. But the news of the week in the National Football League was Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman, free agency, free agent cornerback, formerly of the Seattle Seahawks, uh, most recently the San Francisco 49ers, uh, currently not with an NFL team. But Richard Sherman this week was arrested on Wednesday after police said that he crashed his car in a construction zone in Seattle and he tried to break into his in-laws home in the suburb of Redmond, Washington. Officers were cautious about Sherman, arresting Sherman, I should say, because of his size, strength, and his belligerence, according to police reports on Thursday. Mr. Sherman displayed severe mood swings, slurred speech, bloodshot eyes, 
had the odor of intoxicants emitting from his uh, from him during contact with authorities. And according to the report, Sherman told authorities that he was upset over his children being taken from him. Now, after allegedly resisting arrests and once in custody, Sherman's mood changed. Uh, he joked around with troopers, things of that nature. This was the big, big story because there was also video behind it. As police reports say that he had to be treated for a dog wound because the troopers had to uh, stick the dog out to subdue Mr. Sherman. Now, you, you say, this isn't football news. Like, this isn't football news. Why are we talking about someone who got arrested? This has nothing to do with the NFL. And it, it actually does. It has a lot to do. Now, Richard Sherman also had some other. So this is just the arrest. But a lot of it, the charges that were brought to Richard Sherman on Friday uh, are as follows. He had two domestic violence counts that's called for criminal trespass in the second degree and malicious mischief in the in the third degree for him trying to get in or break into his in-laws home um, for either an altercation, whatever it may have happened. But those are sort of the lesser of the criminal charges that were brought to Mr. Sherman. But the big charges were the resisting arrests, driving while under the influence and the reckless endangerment of roadway workers. Now, these charges all are misdemeanors, punishable up to 90 days in jail. They are gross misdemeanors. Uh, If they're gross misdemeanors, then punishable by up to a year. Uh, The judge did agree to allow Mr. Sherman, Richard Sherman, to remain free on his own recognizance. The next scheduled pre-trial date uh, hearing will be August 13th. He was free. He was released uh, with no bail. Didn't uh, didn't have to post bail or anything like that. So, wow, th- this was th- this is the big story because it also, too, had, um, you know, video behind it as well. When you first heard of first of all, when you hear the domestic, you know, violence situation aspect of it. Right. When you hear the domestic violence counts, everybody automatically antennas go up. But I think it's a lot of because of the the player, the person, Richard Sherman, especially a guy for a lot of folks in Los Angeles. They know Richard Sherman. Uh, He's born and raised here in Los Angeles. So I think a lot of folks, this is close to their heart a little bit. Because you have a guy, you know, from Compton, California, that you know well, and you never would see sort of this type of incident, right? Like Richard Sherman from Los Angeles, like I said, Compton, California, graduated from Dominguez High School in Compton. We had never heard or or, or seen of behavior like this for Richard Sherman, but this has a lot to do with football. It does. Because so many times I think that we look at players and we say, man, who I wish I had that lifestyle or I wish I had that. But obviously through the video that was released by TMZ, through the um, police reports, you see that this was a situation that raised a lot of eyebrows that made people take a step back. Richard Sherman's one of the biggest community givers in the National Football League. A guy who graduated from Stanford University, one of the 
you know, best, uh, you know, intellectual institutions in all the country in terms of colleges. And in one moment, one moment, a man's legacy is now being questioned. A man's work on the football field is now being questioned. This has a lot to do with the NFL. I mean, football, NFL. Because there could be a man who's crying for help. A lot of things that we just don't know. Now, I say that because Richard Sherman did release a statement. And this is the official statement that he posted to many different social sites. This is Richard Sherman. I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner I am not proud of. I have been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but that is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all of the people who have reached out in support of me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support systems to lean on during this time. That was the statement made by Richard Sherman. Now, to kind of hear just the overall, I have a little bit of sound that I want you all to hear. Uh, here's Daryl Lowe. He's of the Redmond, Washington Police Department Police Chiefs. Here's the, uh, a snippet from the press conference on Wednesday. So this morning at approximately 1.49 a.m., Redmond Police received a 911 call from the occupants in the 18100 block of Northeast 30th Street, indicating a family member who did not reside at the residence uh, was trying to break in. Officers responded and made contact with Richard Sherman. Officers attempted to de-escalate the situation and gain voluntary compliance from Mr. Sherman. Mr. Sherman physically resisted officers' efforts to take him into custody and a Redmond Police canine was deployed to assist in gaining control of Mr. Sherman. Mr. Sherman was eventually taken into custody. Both Mr. Sherman and the officer sustained minor injuries as a result of the altercation and the canine deployment. Mr. Sherman was treated at a local hospital for his injuries and booked into the King County Jail. He was booked for residential burglary with the domestic violence component, resisting arrest, and malicious mischief. The domestic violence component results from Mr. Sherman's relationship with the occupants of the residence not due to him physically assaulting his significant other. The malicious mischief is the result of damage he caused to the door of the residence. Mm. That was uh, Daryl Lowe, the Redmond, Washington Police Department police chief. You know, what? kind of me taking a step back, looking at this entire situation with Richard Sherman, and I'll get to how this relies to football, how this you know brings football into this as well. But I had a thought on what occurred. See, a lot of people have looked at the video. They've seen the uh, they've heard the 911 call from his wife. And everybody obviously assumes that Richard Sherman, uh, obviously in a situation that was uh, one that he did not handle to the best. I believe that that we know Richard Sherman. But overall, my overall take is that this was a situation that was a family matter. Now, look, the resisting arrest, the driving while under the influence, the reckless endangerment. Now, those are crimes. That is a criminal crime. 
That is a criminal crime. And he will have his day in court with that. And they'll figure that part out. But from the TMZ video, from the, you know, uh, at the home of his in-laws and the screaming and yelling and, you know, the, just the, the anger that you saw from Sherman in the videos, that to me looks like a guy who's trying to pick a fight with a family member. As a former NFL player, I've been in those situations before. I've had to help. I've had to de-escalate. I've even been in some myself. The only problem was I didn't have it filmed. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was no cameras around. But I've seen those situations before. And Richard Sherman is a guy who um, is a very emotional guy. And if you don't believe me, I wanted to re- and I, the first thing I thought of to, to, for people just to kind of refresh the kind of emotional person that Richard Sherman is, is I go back to the the 2014 NFC championship game, San Francisco 49ers at the Seattle Seahawks. Remember Richard Sherman made one of the best plays that we've seen in a championship game, literally saving the game for the Seattle Seahawks. And he delivered a really emotional post game interview, but it kind of goes to show you just how emotional of a guy he is and how passionate he is and how you can sense sometimes the passion and you can use it. Sometimes it sounds like anger, but here's Richard Sherman post game of the NFC championship back in 2014. Richard, let me ask you the final play. Take me through it. Well, I'm the best corner in the game. When you try me with a sorry receiver like Crabtree, that's the result you're going to get. Don't you ever talk about me. Who was talking about you? Crabtree, don't you open your mouth about the best. Or you're going to shut it for you real quick. L.O.B. That was a guy who was actually heading to the Super Bowl, heading to the biggest game of his career. And you can hear that the words of one Michael Crabtree was still in his head. He was trying to settle a, settle a deal, settle a score. And you can hear it. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw the video. I saw this past video of this week, released by TMZ, of the door cam video of him in front of his in-law's home. And immediately I thought that this isn't something that has to do with a family matter. I think we've all been in a situation where we've seen or have known of a situation of a family matter. One of my guys, one of my colleagues uh, on the college football side, also the NFL side, Marcus Spears. I think he also summed up what I believe I'm trying to say as well. Here's Marcus Spears, ESPN NFL analyst. As we talk about these players and we do it on this show and we enjoy it and we, we talk about their games, this is another part of, of myself as a former player that's really prevalent in the NFL. And I think Richard Sherman going through this and seeing the support from his wife and his family and everybody out there needs to understand that this is an entire family matter as opposed to just Richard Sherman by himself. So not only are thoughts and prayers with him, but it's one of those things where we got to look at these guys as humans and we look at their family situations and no one is immune to going through things like this. So I wanted to just bring that into the conversation because we talk about charges, we talk about court dates, we talk about him being in jail, but there's also another part to this with an entire family dealing with what's going on and asking for privacy. So that's where I wanted to leave it, is that this is an entire family going through this as as well as Richard Sherman. And I think it's important that we all kind of learn from situations like this when it comes to these guys. Then that was Marcus Spears. And he said it right there. This is a family issue. 
Families fight. Families argue. And then you throw in a little bit of uh, adult beverages, a little alcohol. Things can rise up real quick. Situations can rise. Anger can rise. Almost violent. The one thing I can say about Richard Sherman in this situation, he did not brandish a weapon. There was no weapon involved. You know, no gun, no knife, nothing. There was no weapon in his hands. This was a man who was trying to pick a fight, who was really visibly angry. Didn't handle it in the right way. But I don't know what triggered him, what provoked him. I don't know. And I don't know how you feel about Richard Sherman. Do you like him? Are you against him? Do you think he's cocky? Do you think he's arrogant on the field, off the field, whatever it may be. But I look at the situation in totality. And I'll say that he didn't handle it the right way, but I've seen those situations. And they're the one of the more difficult situations to handle, especially between family. 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. If you want to weigh in on it, if you have your comments, you want to talk about it, that's what our safe space is here for on LA Gridiron Weekly. But with all this Richard Sherman talk, there is one aspect nobody is talking about. What's the impact on the NFC West? What's the Richard Sherman incident? What's the impact on the NFC West? I'll tell you when we come back here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. Man, back here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly on a Saturday here in Los Angeles. Hope everybody is enjoying their weekend. I know I am. already got nine holes of golf in this morning, so feeling good. Didn't play my best, but guess what? There's always tomorrow, right? <laughs> 877-710-ESPN is a phone number, 877-710-3776. Top of the next hour, 10 a.m., get ready. Raiders safety. That's right, Las Vegas Raiders safety. Jonathan Abram will join L.A. Gridiron Weekly. We'll get his take on the Raiders, his new defensive coordinator also as well, that also has a connection to uh, what we're talking about in the last segment, uh, Richard Sherman. So we'll get into that as well. Some USC talk in the second hour as well. Jalen Ramsey talk coming up. But we got a couple phone calls before I get into the impact of Richard Sherman on the NFC West. But we got a couple phone calls out there. I want to get to the phone lines. Your phone calls are always welcome here on LA Gridiron Weekly, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Robert in Lancaster. What's going on, Robert? You're welcome to uh, LA Gridiron Weekly. Hey, Kurt. Hey, I just got my nine holes into, and yeah, it didn't play very well, but I got a smile on my face. Same here, brother. Same. Didn't play my best, but you know what? I got tomorrow, all right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I, you know, man, I'll get a little story. I got family that's horrible. Three former sisters ripped me off for well over a half a million, stole the business from me and my father. Mm. Richard Sherman should know better. I mean, when I drink, yeah, I want to go over there and tear their heads off, but I know better than that. Richard Sherman's got plenty of money to afford a lawyer to take care of this in court. I don't. I don't have the money, so I just had to let it go. So I'm not going to give this guy a pass. He should know. Hello? Oh, he dropped. Oh, man. Uh, call back, please. Yeah, please call back, man. I definitely want to finish that call up, Robert, because I, I got you. But I think what you're trying to say is 
Uh, and no, I'm not giving Richard Sherman a pass by no means. I'm just saying the, the there are other criminal charges that, against him, which is the reckless endangerment of of roadway workers because he crashed his vehicle, uh, just driving under the influence, resisting arrest. Uh, th- those are criminal charges. He is not not immune to that. There, there is no pass for that. And I'm not giving him a pass for the the two domestic violence counts of criminal trespass in the second degree and the malicious mischief, which is, you know, trying to knock down the door. I'm not giving him a pass at all. But what I am saying is that um, Robert, you back? Yeah, I'm here. man. There you go. go ahead, man. I'll let you finish, man. You're bringing the heat, man. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. Go ahead. All right, man. And, you know, I, I, if I was a sports star. I would know better than to do any, and you know, I know it's a family thing and I wish TMZ wasn't who they are. They're absolutely horrible getting in these guys' faces. I mean, he should have been doing this a different way than jeopardizing his whole career. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy. I love Richard Sherman. I love his intensity, but I think he went a little bit overboard on this. Cause like I said, man, I could do the same thing to my former sisters, but you know, my life is too good to be worrying about police and, and jail time and all that stuff. Yeah. And Robert, I hear what you're saying. I, I really do. Uh, and I appreciate the phone call. I think the hardest part for me in this situation is that I've seen it. I've been around it uh, where it's difficult for guys who are especially alpha males and a situation a lot of times puts them to where not only are they vulnerable, but they're being tested. Right. They are being pushed. It's one thing when you're getting pushed on the field, when you're pushed off the field, it does take you to a different, I think, a different element, right? A different world. In this situation, I don't know what was said by Richard Sherman's in-laws. I believe it may be an uncle or his wife's father. I don't know what was said, but there was something that triggered Richard into acting the way that he did. And look, he wanted to start a fight. He he wasn't going there saying, hey, I got a gun or, hey, look, I have a weapon, a weapon and I'm trying. He was there to, hey, come outside. Let's handle this. Come outside. And I'm sitting there. We've seen situations like that. I was telling my buddy the other day, well, you can go down to Sunset Boulevard at 130 a.m. You're going to see a couple of those same situations. Hey, come outside. Meet me outside. I mean, that's just the nature of, first of all, that time in the morning. Right. Herm Edwards, the great. Uh, you know, the former head coach in the National Football League, current head coach at Arizona State, always says nothing good happens after 12 o'clock. And obviously this happened around, what, 1 a.m., I believe. And so obviously the intoxication added on to it. I'm not giving him a pass. I just know that something triggered him as well, and he should have acted differently. But it's hard when you have a guy who was hell-bent on – trying to (laughs) settle a situation, settle something. And you saw that in his eye. He would, he didn't care. That's where the resisting of the arrest came in too. He was trying to handle a situation. Didn't handle it correctly, but I seen it in his eyes. Uh, Let's go back to the phone lines. 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. Let's go to Wayne, man. My guy Wayne over in Los Angeles. What's up, Wayne? Hey, Kirk, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. I want to say something uh, really quick, and then I want to have a conversation. Sure. Uh, Walter Payton once said, um, I I feel good that I take care of myself, that I can actually 
tear a man in half with my bare hands because of the athlete that I am. That was Walter Payton back in the day. Now, he was before your time. You, you were a physical specimen. You were a linebacker. Correct. Richard Sherman is definitely a physical specimen as a cornerback, almost safety. You guys are professional athletes. You guys are sure enough the closest thing to Superman. Now, I just want to say this right here. I've never criticized Richard Sherman as a man. I've only criticized Richard Sherman's play, you know, like I say, last time we talked in the Super Bowl when he blew a couple of coverages against Kansas City. Correct. Now then, I want to say uh, Aguib, and I know I'm messing up his name, Aguib Talib. Yeah, Aguib Talib. He went down to Florida and beat the snuffing out of his uh, sister's boyfriend. Correct. For putting his hands on her, something that I had to do when I was in the military when my late sister's husband put his hands on her. So, you know, we we, we, we know about stuff like this. You know what I'm saying? Correct. Now then, I want to say, Kurt, I'm not going to hold you, but in the last three years, because of the climate with police and us black men, if Richard Sherman hadn't been Richard Sherman, we might be talking this morning about another black man being killed by the police for trying to break into his uh, estranged wife's parents' house. And uh, that's that's my comment, Kurt. Um, again, hey, I got man, you, Wayne. you're I, the it, best. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. No, man, I appreciate the Thank phone you. call. I appreciate Thank that you, transparency. Yeah, I appreciate that transparency. I, I think because, remember, the officers were responding to a 911 call. Um, there was no weapon involved. Uh, there was just a an angry uh, husband uh, on the outside of the home, I believe, that it was, you know, that's what the dispatcher had talked about and was said. So I think the police came in and they were they knew that they were going to have to subdue, um, uh, you know, Richard Sherman. Now, they did release the canines on. Him, so I, I'll give them the credit that, you know, there was no physical uh, and they didn't have to use excessive force, right? They they went out and tried, and they couldn't handle it. And they got a dog, and everything was fine. And actually, Richard Sherman actually joked with him. How crazy is that? He joked about the form that the trooper had used to take him to the ground. And police said they also said that Richard Sherman was polite and cooperative at the hospital when he was taken in to be treated for the police dog bite. So uh, there was that case to that as well. But kind of to what Wayne said, I still feel that Richard um, could have handled the situation a lot differently. And obviously his emotions got the best of him. And I believe that he realized the severity of what happened the next day when he was able to, uh, you know, when he was not under the influence of alcohol and realized that he had a bad night. And I think we've all had a bad night before. Only problem is, his was recorded. Let's go to uh, Douglas. Douglas over in Marina Del Rey. What's going on, Douglas? Welcome to LA Gridiron Weekly. Yeah, I got a comment about Richie that's a little bit different than most people may think about him. I'm a Stanford alum, and back at Stanford, after the games is over, uh, the players will come out in an area where there's family and friends, and actually both teams will come out in the same sort of area, and everybody would intermingle. There was always a bunch of kids, five, six, seven years old, asking for chin straps and autographs and things like that. And on both teams, Richie Sherman was about the only guy that would ever 
get down on one knee and look the kid right in the air eye and talk to the kid. And I just really respected him for that. And that's sort of a side of him I don't think people realize. Oh, man, appreciate the phone call, Douglas. Yeah, I think that's why so many people in the National Football League uh, in the community were so shocked by this because of the work that he's done off the field, not only in Los Angeles and Seattle, up in that community as well, the work that he's done with kids, the work that he does also with the NFL Players Association as an executive committee member as well. So not only does he have all of these different things he's doing off the field, he still has his on the field things. And I think that's what was most shocking to people is that he's always treated people with the utmost respect. Uh, I've met Richard plenty of times. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times as well, uh, but has always been gracious with his time. Um, and like you said, he always looks you in the eye, always probably one of the smartest guys in the room. Um, a guy who is going to give you, um, you know, how he feels and he won't hold back. And so I think that's what really, really got people kind of just uh, saying, wow, if this could happen to Richard Sherman in terms of losing your cool, uh, not having, you know, feeling like his mental health, he needs to go get help for the emotional and mental health. Right. Because he said he's he's not well in that emotional and, and e- emotional and physical health and mental health, I should say. So with that being said, you know, a lot of times, and you know, we talked about it last week on the same program about Aaron Rodgers. Remember Aaron Rodgers talked about, you know, his mental health in terms of what makes him happy. And a lot of people don't know what makes them happy. A lot of people, they think, but people deal with mental health differently. And there's all types of different mental health issues that go along. But I appreciate all the phone calls. We're going to get more to your phone calls as well. 877-710-ESPN is a phone number, 877-710-3776. And I promise I, I didn't get to it because your phone calls, which I greatly appreciate that we can have this conversation here on a Saturday on LA Gridiron Weekly. But I didn't get to it this segment. I think I'll come back with it next segment as I talk about the impact of Richard Sherman on the NFC West as well as your phone calls here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly on 710 ESPN. Back here on L.A. Gridiron Weekly, man, this show is flying by. I swear it just started five minutes ago, and yet we're already in the second quarter of this program, 877-710-ESPN, 877-710-3776. And look, i um get to a couple more of your phone calls in a minute. But when it comes to Richard Sherman, there is an impact that it has on the NFC West. Richard Sherman has spent his 10-year career in the NFC West. His first seven years were with the Seattle Seahawks, which he had two Super Bowl appearances, winning one. I remember, they defeated the uh, Denver Broncos over in New York. Remember MetLife Stadium? They won that Super Bowl, obviously the one that... Pete Carroll should have handed it off. He should have handed it off to Marshawn Lynch. And we all know what happened. Russell Wilson threw it, intercepted. Tom Brady wins a, another Super Bowl, by the way. That was, uh, I think, what, Super Bowl number five? for? Yeah, that was Super Bowl number five for Tommy. Uh, as you know, he's Tom Brady's won two more since then. And then he spent the last three years with the San Francisco 49ers. A lot of people laughed at him about going to the 49ers. Remember, under Kyle Shanahan's second year, 49ers coming off of a losing season. And think about it. Uh, Second season, he's with the 49ers. He changed that culture, especially on defense. 
and they went to a Super Bowl. Now, they didn't win, but they did go to a Super Bowl. He is currently a free agent. And so for me, I think that this is a big impact on the NFC West because he's told previously told Stephen A. Smith, uh, our own Stephen A. Smith, that he plans to play two or more seasons, then retire. So Richard Sherman says he's got two more seasons. Remember, he was coming off a Pro Bowl year the year previous to this. Last year had a little bit of a, a down year, but the 49ers overall had a down year. And a lot of it was Richard Sherman was banged up. He was hurt for most of the year um, last year. So he's, you have that to deal with it. But and then Richard Sherman had already told people that, look, he's being patient in free agency in hopes of landing with the team that's competing for a championship. We all know that the all four all four teams in the NFC West, to me, I think they all got a chance at the Super Bowl. I believe that NFC Championship. We, I can make a case for every team that they can make it to the, at least the NFC Championship game. So we know that Richard Sherman uh, was going to wait until he had, uh, you know, he felt the time was right to sign with the team. And so the reason why I said this impacts the NFC West is because this. There was talks that he could probably go back to Seattle, right? Go back to where it all started from. You know, that's where he lives at in the offseason. Think about it. He signs with the Seattle Seahawks. They feel like they're prime for another run at the Super Bowl. And to bring back one of the original Legion of Boom members and a young secondary that's lost a couple guys to free agency, definitely could see that. But now with this incident, does Seattle push pump the brakes? So that was one team. Then you think about the San Francisco 49ers. They've also lost some guys in free agency. But Richard Sherman could possibly go back to the 49ers for probably a little less pay. But he knows the system, knows the scheme. They know him. Could he go back there? So you have that aspect of it. Then the next team. The Arizona Cardinals. Think about the Arizona Cardinals. They're all in. If you don't know that the Arizona's all in, look, they are all in. I mean, they've went and got Malcolm Butler. They've went and got J.J. Watt. They got A.J. Green. They traded for Rodney Hudson. If you're an older veteran right now, please call the Arizona Cardinals. They will take you right now. Richard Sherman, think about it. Could have been the piece that they may need. Patrick Peterson, they're all pro corner, no longer with the team. He signs with the Minnesota Vikings this year. Look, they're probably missing, you know, kind of a big voice. Larry Fitzgerald may retire. Who knows? He's still on the fence. We don't know what's going to happen with that situation. Richard Sherman could be in the NFC West again with Arizona. But again, I I digress because of the situation. And don't count out who? The Los Angeles Rams. I know they already got Jalen Ramsey. Uh, Darius Williams starts on the other side. But remember, the Rams are going to be without Troy Hill. Okay, one of their outstanding corners over the last couple of years. Remember, he signed in free agency with the Cleveland Browns. So did John Johnson, a safety. So that's two pieces of your safety, your secondary group that are going to be gone. And think about it. The season starts, and maybe Richard Sherman has not signed yet. He knows this style of defense, uh, you know, from Raheem Morris. So to think that if he might have been available, could the Rams go out and grab him? That's why I think this impacts the NFC West. Because he could be a missing link for one of these four teams. But with the situation now happening, I think, man, this has pressed the pause button for a lot of those teams. That's the big impact on the NFC West. 
LA Gridiron Weekly here on 710 ESPN, 877-710 ESPN is the phone number, 877-710-3776. Let's get back to the phone lines. Let's go to, um, wow, let's go to David. David in La Puente. Oh, David just dropped. Okay, let's go to Scratch. Scratch, what's going on? Uh, no, let's go to Jacob. Oh, Jacob, oh, what we got? <laughs> let's go to Mitch. How about that? Let's go to Mitch. What's going on, Mitch? Welcome to LA Gridiron Weekly. How you doing, my man? Good, uh, Craig. How you doing? Happy, uh, happy weekend. You too, man. Happy weekend. I guess we. I guess some people have to work for the weekend. They get to the weekend, uh, but you yeah. gotta work. But if you love your job, it's not work, right? Correct. You're right. You're right. Right about. Right about that. Um, I think Richard uh, Charlesman's fan. Uh, you gotta admire the guy. Kind of reminds me of. Um, I'm trying to remember the the rap group. Man, I'm getting a little too old for this, but I'm from the East Coast. NWA, Escape from Compton. Yeah. Well, he, got, <laughs> he, he not only got a, an athletic scotch, he also got into his grades, too. So he's a great mm-hmm. guy. I hope uh, it's a little bit in my family with the mental issue. I hate that word. I hope he's fine. He's very lucky that he hit somebody because he was drunk, dry, under influence. I mean, drugs is worse than alcohol, I think. So he's locking out the palm. And I hope uh, he gets his life straightened out. I hope it's not too much work. Right. And I mean, come and join one of those LA teams where I think the Rams could at least need an amount of a team to back other than the charge and and the Rays. I'm calling them all, all, all part of little LA. There, it's always like a server. I'm sorry. Right. It seems like <laughs> seems like three LA can absorb Las Vegas, and the people still go on. And yeah. what do you think about um? All, all got great quarterbacks. All have good wide receivers. You think Robert Woods will have the best? Of all of the three teams in, in terms of wide receiver, every give you too much. I know you have other calls. No, I have got a good you, weekend. man. Thanks for, take, thanks for taking my week. Phone, yeah. Have a good weekend. Appreciate the phone call, Mitch. Um, look, the NFC West is going to be like uh, Cal Shanahan said. It's going to be an arms race, man. This is going to be fun this year. I think the best division in all of the NFL. I can't wait to see how this thing plays out. The funny part. This is the funny part, though. Me and my buddies were talking about it. Who's going to come in last place? Like who? Someone has to come in last place in the NFC West. As good as these teams are on paper, Rams, Cardinals, Seahawks, 49ers, someone's got to come in last place. That's crazy. That's wild. But one of the reasons why I believe the Rams won't come in last place is it's because of a guy who wears number five now. If you didn't know, check your uh, check your your your, uh, your your media guide. Check your websites. He wears number five. He came in wearing the number 20 being traded from Jacksonville over to the Rams, but he switched to number five. He's Jalen Ramsey. And Jalen Ramsey spoke this week on a couple of different uh, platforms. We'll get to some of his comments coming up next, as well as at the top of the hour, Jonathan Abram, safety of the Las Vegas Raiders. So we got a lot to get to here on LA Gridiron Weekly. Hope you're enjoying the show. Make sure you're buckled up, having a good time. We'll talk a little Jalen Ramsey coming up next here, LA Gridiron Weekly, 710 ESPN. Hell of a linebacker. Oh, appreciate it, Ice Cube. Yeah, I thought I was okay. It did okay, but that was the interview we had here a couple weeks ago with Ice Cube. If you missed that interview, make sure you go to our show's page, ESPN Los Angeles. Click on the uh, on-demand section. Look up. L.A. Gridiron Weekly, and I've had a couple people uh, told me, man, I missed the interview, but I listened to it, man. I'm, I'm proud of you. So shout out to everybody who, if you missed the show, if you missed the first half of it, you can always go back and uh, and listen to it. So Jalen Ramsey, 
cornerback, number five for the Los Angeles Rams. Had a lot to say this week, man. And um, he was on the um, Akeem Tlaib podcast called Catching Fades. And so a lot of people always wanted to know, like, why was Jalen Ramsey so upset? Why, why was he, you know, wanted to get out of Jacksonville so much? And uh, for me, having been a Jacksonville Jaguar for one year, um, I, I sort of understand. I get it. It's not like L.A., I'll tell you that. Um, but great people down there. I love the city of Jacksonville, the people. It, for me, it was the first time I'd ever left California in my life. I'd never left California for an extended period of time, right, where I was going to live somewhere. I, you know, I went to born and raised in California, went to high school, college. And then when I got done with college, I got drafted to my hometown team. Then I got traded back in 2010. Went down to Jacksonville and definitely was a, a culture shock for me, to say the least. Culture shock. It was different. First of all, uh, humidity. I don't know how people in California, we don't like humidity. You know, we get that nice ocean breeze every day. You know, I wake up in the morning, nice crisp mornings. No snow. No, 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 no. Not, not in Jacksonville. It was hot. It was hot every day. But I don't think that was the reason why he wanted to leave. But you can just see sometimes organizations have a structure, have a way of doing things. And a guy of Jalen Ramsey's, um, you know, caliber just wasn't really into it. And so here's a uh, little Jalen Ramsey. He was on the, like I mentioned, the Akeem Tlaib Catch and Fades podcast and he talked about his time with the Jaguars and why there was one person in particular he just didn't dis- he just didn't get along with. As a whole team, we came together and we created that bond that you were just talking about and that team chemistry that you were just talking about that we was gonna fight for each other, ride for each other. You feel me? Because to be honest, we didn't like Tom Coughlin. That's what it came down to. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Um, that was his first year in there, and we were a sorry team the year before. So you know, when a new, when something new come in, they gonna go. Especially when you when you that sorry, they gonna go complete opposite. You know what I mean? Right. So we went from being like relaxed, having relaxed coaching staff and a coaching staff that let us be, you know, adults and, and live our life and just kind of be who we were. But we was too young for that at the time. We was too young of a right. team to know how to to really treat that. So we took advantage of it, and, and that's why we weren't good. Mm. Yeah, Tom Coughlin. Who would have <laughs> thought that? Now, look, a lot of New York Giants uh, former players spoke out this week saying, hey, Tom Coughlin was the man. He, he was this. And, look, you know, sometimes coaching styles, they vary, especially with certain coaches. Tom Coughlin uh, ran things his way, right? The meeting started five minutes early. If you were on time, you were late. That's just how it was. He turned the clocks back. Um, so sometimes it's not always going to be for the player. And so obviously it was funny hearing that. It was also to, another thing that he talked about, one of his easier matchups, because you know, one time Jalen Ramsey got into a little fisticuffs, right? A little, little on the field, uh, you know, a little, I don't know how you want to describe, a little tisk. I don't know, uh not necessarily a fight, but just a little pushing and shoving going on. Uh, but he talked about it uh, with Akeem Tlaib. Here's one of the easier matchups for Jalen Ramsey. It, it really depends on who the media boosting up. And, you know, certain matchups they're going to try to boost up. I'm trying to think, though. Um, I mean, obviously, one that comes to my head, one that sticks out immediately is when I was in Jacksonville and I played A.J. Green. Yeah. Um, 
and we get and, and we had that little whatever you want to call it. It wasn't no fight. It wasn't no scuffle or whatever. Little tussle. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying squabble. That was you know, and I got a lot of respect for all the guys around the league, but I feel like Definitely. that was something that was hyped up. But it was like when I was out there, and I ain't, I ain't calling him like easy or nothing like that because I don't see him work. Plenty of dudes. Yeah, in the league, yeah. But, but for you, your talent is different me, than them other dudes. I was on. For you. Yeah, for me, I was on. I was on my game that day to where I felt right. like I was so locked in that he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna do nothing do nothing with me. And for all those people who forget about that actual um, encounter, AJ Green and Jalen Ramsey literally had uh, AJ Green. I'd never seen him uh, snap like that. AJ Green, one of the more mild mannered guys in the league, long time wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, I just mentioned he'll be with the Arizona Cardinals this year, teaming up with DeAndre Hopkins. But, yeah, it was a little bit of fight, a little bit of pushing and shoving going on between Ramsey and uh, A.J. Green because Jalen Ramsey had the locks on him. He had the locks on him. So it's good to hear those kind of conversations and a player of Jalen Ramsey's caliber. We'll see what he does this year for the Rams again. Like I mentioned, he'll be wearing number five, but – Sometimes you want to know who were the guys that you watched that you patterned your game after. And Jalen Ramsey basically said there's certain guy that was the best corner of all time. And then there's a guy who was the best defensive back of all time. I want you to take a listen to this. I thought this was pretty unique. Here's Jalen Ramsey on the million dollars worth of game with Gilly the Kid and Wallow 267. Here's his best corner and then best defensive back. Why I put Charles over, over Deion is because I got Deion as being the best corner ever to play the game. That's that's how I rank Deion ever. That's no debate in my opinion. Mm. Deion the best corner to play the game. Even – and it go further than that. The way he he made the position cool to play, yeah. and like he like, made it fashionable. He made it stylish. Every he everything put, he, he brought so much attention to it. He made it look cool. Exactly everything he brought to the game. Everything he brought to it that's special. But me personally, my style, I like Charles because I think even though I say Dion is the best corner to play the game, I say Charles is the best defensive back to play the game. Because he played multiple positions in the secondary. He played corner. He played safety. He played nickel. He did. He did a bunch of different stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he affected the game in so many different ways. Yeah, that was uh, Jalen Ramsey on uh, the million-dollar worth of game with Gilly the Kid and Wallow 267. I am 100% in agreement with Jalen Ramsey. Deion Sanders is by far the best corner that I know I've ever seen. Watched him growing up. The best. Trust me. I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, what about the-? No, Deion Sanders, like he did, he made the position cool. I bought Deion Sanders shoes. You know how, how, how much I begged my mom to get some primetime shoes? And she says, you better not. And then, look, I said, Mom, I got to. I wanted to be primetime because prime, Deion Sanders, he just made the game look so fun, right? Because he was the best, and everybody wanted to be the best. But then the best defensive back was a guy who was my former teammate, Charles Woodson, a guy who was my locker mate, sat right next to Charles, my rookie year. I walk into a locker room and I got a Hall of Famer sitting next to me. Now, remember, Charles Woodson had two lockers. He had locker 24, locker number two, and then I was next to locker two. So I was locker number 52 for my number when I was with the Raiders. Charles Woodson, yes, he needed two lockers. He was that good of a player. But I watched, and to Jalen Ramsey's point, 
Charles Woodson played corner, safety, slot, nickel. He even came down and played a little bit of linebacker at times. I just marveled at what he was able to do as a player my rookie year because he taught me how to work, work the right way, first of all, <laughs> right? Not all work is good work. Sometimes some people work too hard, but just just play football. He made things so simple for me. Just go play football, Kirk. And I think Charles Woodson also had one of the uh, the highest compliments for one Jalen Ramsey. So Charles Woodson will be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this August in just a couple of weeks. And so he had a press conference about his Hall of Fame induction. And Charles Woodson was asked who t- in today's NFL reminds him of himself. Here's Charles Woodson. I would say at the top of the list is uh, Jalen Ramsey in terms of, you know, kind of playing the game the way that I play the game. Um, if you watch him on the field, uh, you're not going to necessarily know where he's going to be, you know, each and every game. There's going to be games where he's going to be on the one uh, receiver, uh, but there's going to be games where, you know, they don't feel like they have the game plan for a certain for a certain guy for him to be on. So you might see him at the nickel. Uh, you might see him at dime. You might see him at Sam. You might see him, you know, playing a deep half or something. And those were all things that, you know, I could do as a player. You know, you could just, you know, always, you know, consider myself like season salt. You know, you can put season salt in anything. It's going to make it better. <laughs> Seasoning salt indeed. Charles Woodson talking about Jalen Ramsey. How he reminds – Jalen Ramsey reminds him so much of himself. I think that, that was great because I played with Charles and if – Jalen Ramsey, anything like Charles Hill, a Hall of Fame career, definitely in front of him. But this is how you segue. Charles Woodson, as a Raider, wore number 24. The guy who wears number 24 now for the Raiders will join us next here. Jonathan Abram, safety, number 24 for the Las Vegas Raiders. will join LA Gridiron Weekly coming up next here on 710 ESPN.